helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome to today's program. It's so good to have you with us, and I'm looking forward to spending an hour with you. We're going to be talking about a lot of subjects that I think you're going to find to be interesting. If you're looking for advice on topics like purchasing a home or maybe investing in your 401k plan or buying the right insurance in the right amount, well, this is a program that I find think you'll find to be interesting. A lot of people don't even think through the process of saving for that college education fund. And you know what? It's just this has to be done because at some point in time, you're going to have the kids coming to you and say, Hey, Mom, hey, Dad, where am I going to college? So that's what they said. It's not can I go, it's where am I going? Well, that's kind of some of the things that we talk about. But today we're going to be focusing on Number one, elder, and what are some of the problems with the elders and and the issues that they might have? Elder abuse, it's financial abuse, but what are some of the things that they need to know, and and what should they be thinking about? Like, who's going to make my care decisions when I can't make those? Well, those are some of the questions we're talking about. Scott Jordan and I are going to discuss some wishes that people have when they reach that stage of being over 60, over 70, over 80. We've got experience in that. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about elder financial abuse, some warning signs, prevention, and reporting. And you're going to be surprised at uh, who is actually the victim when it comes to elder abuse. And last, but definitely not least, as far as the topic of the hour, has the market stretched too far, too fast? Well, some say absolutely. In fact, I was reading something recently. 39% of investors surveyed last week by the American Association of Individual Investors say they're bearish on U.S. stocks. Now, that's a good sign because when people start lining up saying I'm bearish, Scott, you and I both know that's kind of a time maybe we ought to get into the market. That's a time to probably <laughs> jump on in. Yeah. Jump on in. But I know a lot of people are concerned about that. And market correction, is it going to be a summer market correction? Scott and I are going to cover that in details in the latter part of the program. But first of all, I think one of the biggest issues a lot of people have is safeguarding and affirming that, that person, that, that, human, that human dignity of people who have reached a point in their life and where there are challenges and there's opportunities especially for the the person who is aged to a point. And we have clients like that, right, Scott? Absolutely. And yeah. we know about that. So if you just tuned in, of course, I'm talking with Scott Jordan, who's with me on a regular basis. Scott and I try to answer your questions. And if you've got questions for us, just send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, and we'll do our best to get those on the air. Scott, let me, let's start with this. There's a lot of people... When we talked about the elderly, I'm talking about, now, you know, sometimes people fall into that category of being elderly, 60 or above. I hate to tell you, I take a little offense to that, <laughs> just to let you know, and, and uh, because I am over 60, we'll stop there. You don't have to go any further than that. Uh, but the reality is uh, we have people that we are concerned about all the time. I mean, I'm thinking of three or four of our ladies, a couple of our men that are sure. that are over over eighty, and you know it's a concern. And so, some of the things that I want us to talk about today are some things that they need to be sensitive to. So, if you're just tuned in, you're listening to us. We're talking about things that elder people need to be sensitive to, and that's important for them to understand that. 
let's talk about the first one. I mean, the, the reality is, and when I think about it, is how much do they need to be looking for when it comes to developing a plan for them? Let's just, just lay it out if we, if we think. Now, no more. should I fill out an advanced directive? And should I understand something there? I mean, I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about literally a living will. You know, you've heard that term, Scott. Should I have a living will? Absolutely, I think so. So the, the living will is, is just kind of a part of that basic package of legal documents that we always recommend that most people complete. And, and definitely as you get, get older, it can become more important. And that just, you know, it helps people who have to make those important medical decisions on your behalf. It's kind of a guide for them. So that advanced directive or living will is a critical part of that package. So when you talk about medical medical decisions the living will usually includes that and so many people think well i'm married if i'm married i'm okay she can make or he can make my medical decisions and that's not the case well i would say historically that was more true to today than today you know with the litigious society that we live in a lot of times medical professionals are, are a little reluctant just to take a a spouse's you know, direction. They want, they want some legal documents or protection there to, uh, to show that that person has the authority to make that type of decision. So the first thing we're talking about, uh, if I've got somebody who I want to make care decisions, mm-hmm. so when I can't make them, when I, and I'm now, say, in a coma of having a stroke or for whatever reason, automobile accident, and I get seriously ill, I, just a question of whether or not I want to stay on life support. Sure. That needs to have a living will. Living will, and also you have to name that agent. You know that's done either maybe through a healthcare power of attorney. There's there's simpler documents that can be used to establish that agent that can make those decisions for you. The living will, you can think of that as kind of the guide of of what you would want to happen. Then you also have to give somebody authority to to help make those decisions happen. Okay, what about a healthcare agent? Is that the same thing? Same thing, same thing. So again, that that healthcare power of attorney or other document that you use is going to name that agent. Uh, that you know, most states will accept a, a document that is drawn up by. It doesn't have to necessarily be done by an attorney. Now, using attorney can help get all those documents completed in the right way that are that will be applicable in the state that you live in. But you do need to have you know either a healthcare power of attorney or other document that establishes that agent that can make those decisions for you. And that's that's a person that you're given a lot of authority to. So, you know, that's where that, that living, because you know, you think about it, that's a tough decision for people to make about a loved one. So I think those two documents kind of go together. You have the living will, and then you have the, the healthcare power of attorney of other documents that names that agent. And I think it's important to have both because that person who you're given that authority, again, that's a big responsibility. So you want to give some, them some guidance about what you would want and have those tough conversations that's important. about what one you want. One of the want. questions, I mean, one of the thoughts, I mean, I think these are some of the things that people have to think about. Make, you know, make the decision to move me to another state to get better care. If I happen to be wow. where yeah. I, you know, somebody's got to yeah. you know, make that decision. If I can't make it, and Linda's not there, I need to give someone the directive or give it to her that says, we want to move him to Texas or to Minnesota, to California for better care. Better care, more comfort, and and all those things. And I've I've seen, I've witnessed this in in my own family, you know, without 
with I've had I've had family members that have had that authority without the direction of knowing what that person actually wants. And when it comes to making that decision, they don't want to make those tough That's decisions. Exactly I mean, right. it's very difficult, and I totally understand that. So, you know, it's good to give those people direction about exactly what you would want in the event you needed to be on life support or, or other types of I decisions I think one like of the that. things you're talking about, too, and people forget this, if you've got to make a Medicare or Medicaid decision, yep. any of those other programs like that, an insurance benefit, I have to give somebody direction to do that. Sure. I have to give my health care agent right. that can do into, see into my personal files. I mean, there's so much regulation today in my bank records. I mean, I can say, well... I want you to have my power of attorney for health care provisions. Right. That's what you're talking about. And that's not just just anybody. You've got to be sensitive to that. So I think I think you have to be very, very careful when you start choosing a health care agent or your health care power of attorney. And, and we'll you know, we can talk some more about that, too, later on. Um, I think some of the biggest questions so many people have is making some those final wishes for a loved one, sure. somebody who you want something to happen. I mean, I wish to, you know, um, I can think of a person who wrote this in their last one. I wish to be forgiven for the times when I hurt my family, friends. Right. I mean, right. I, I thought that was so powerful yeah. and yeah. others. That's literally a statement saying, I'm sorry. Sure. And that's, yeah. that's a powerful statement. Um, I wish to have my family and friends know that I love them. Yeah. I mean, those are just, we're just thinking about ways of you saying things that maybe you didn't say. Right. But you're saying it now at this point. Here's a good one that I really like. I wish for all my family members to make peace with each other yeah. before my death. <laughs> Good luck with that one, right? Yeah, well, it's, one. but it's a wish. <laughs> no, it is. It is. And, and, and we, we hear that one a lot, you know, and, and, you know, we do this for our clients a lot as we kind of uh, facilitate a family meeting to bring everybody to the table when the time is right to start discussing some of these things, to hopefully get some of those I'm sorry's in, in person and maybe create some reconciliation there. And also, try to help everybody in the family understand what, you know, whether it's mom and dad or whoever, what they wanted and what their wishes were. So there's not any, any fighting or strife after the fact, um, you know, getting everybody on the same page, I think is critical when the time is right. You know, there's a time to do that. You know, we recently had a case where we were talking to some friends. They were five children, four children. And, you know, you could tell Mom had been in a nursing home for quite some time, and, and not that they didn't love their mom. That was never the question. We, we understood that. Right. This had been somebody we'd worked with for a long time. But here's the, here's the question, or here's the thought for you. I, you know, they didn't look at it all the time. You had three boys and, and, and a daughter and this type of thing. And here's the thought for you that, that I think mom would have said. If I show signs of depression or you know, any type of uh, hallucination or, or I want my, I, here's what she would have thought. I want my caregivers to do whatever they can to help me. I want to be massaged if I need right. to be. I, this is that care that, you know, if she could have communicated with them, this is what she would have been saying to them. Right. And I just know that they were not, not that they didn't love her. Please right. don't. It's just they were not always aware of things like that. That's what I'm thinking when we talk about putting something together, think through all of that. I want my lips and mouth to be kept moist. Sure. I mean, if you, you I know, mean those are, that's something you don't think thing. about, and, but that's important. You know, and you, you bring up an interesting point and a good point because a lot of these services 
costs money or it takes financial assets to make them happen. And sometimes there's a reluctance to spend those assets, not knowing, you know, is that what mom would really want? And there's a lot of questions or discussion going, well, should we do this? And, and, and not even necessarily from a standpoint of greed or anything like that. It just comes from, I don't know if we should be spending the resources like that. And there again, that's where having that that document that clearly defines the kind of care you would like to have, it can be so important and helpful for the family to make those real difficult decisions. And that is always critical for yeah. anything like that. So in these turbulent times, unprecedented times with the pandemic and with the economic situation and all this, people are, are concerned. And so what we're talking about today, if you just tuned in, is a way of people can help come alongside and, and maybe grant some, some of the wishes that that elder person, if you just spend the time while you can and find out and talk to them. I mean, the person can literally say, hey, here's how I want to be remembered. Here's yeah. what I want said. I remember one of my dearest friend's mother wrote out her funeral and literally yeah. put it to, yeah. down in three or four pages and then met with the pastor and said, here's what I want said. And it they didn't go exactly verbatim because she wasn't there to check it. <laughs> right. She was a former right. school teacher. Yeah. She would have. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, the point was, I mean, she was helping them know what to say to the family on her behalf. Sure. And I can tell you, uh, I had to, had a similar experience. My, my grandmother, when she passed away, she had everything about the funeral from the casket to everything lined out. And you're talking about, you know, something that takes a weight off the family, you know, when they don't have to worry about making all those difficult decisions. Everything was lined up down to the songs she wanted played and everything. So, And taking the time to do that yep. is critical. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this, because we've been, we've been talking about some things that I think people wish for, the elders wish for. We'll do this program again in greater detail because I think it's a lot to it. But I wanted to talk about that first because now I want to move into that subject that we don't like to talk about, but it's real. It is real. It's called elder financial abuse. And Scott, give us a definition for our listening audience. What? How do you define elder financial abuse, or just elder abuse? Well, I define it like this: it can be it can be either an intentional act or a neglectful act, and that's that's important. Uh, it's usually by a caregiver or trusted trusted uh, person in their life, but can be a stranger too. But it's it's either an intentional or a neglectful act that can lead to harm to that in individual or make them more vulnerable. So um, I, think that, I think that some people, you know, yes, there is the intentional, but there's also just the, the neglect that can, that can come into the picture as well. And that's the hard part. That is the hard one. And, the, that, hard and you one. said it could be intentional or even just pure neglect. And that can be the situation, I think. I know a lot of times they go unreported. In fact, I've read that one out of... Every case of elder abuse, neglect, exploitation, or, or whatever you want to call it, just reported to authorities, at least five. Yeah, and I've even seen numbers higher than that. You know, there's no, and it's getting better, but there hasn't been a standardized procedure in the U.S. for reporting these kind of cases and document them, not standardized enough. So I've even heard numbers as high as 1 in 23 go unreported. So, it, you know, for every, for all the reported cases we have out there, it's going on a lot more than that. And that's a problem. It's it's very, that's a very problem. much so. Very we much talk so. to a lot of widows. Let's talk about that we do. for a we second. Work, we work with a lot. And uh, when we're spending the time and the energy, we look for and listen to them because it's amazing who commits 
elder abuse. It is. It is. And that's the hard part. We go back to the three boys and the daughter. Again, yep. never questioned their love for their mom. Never questioned there was no abuse. But we've had phone calls. We've had reports. And we've had to make decisions or whether somebody has to be reported. But who commits elder abuse? You know, the, the sad part is, is, is most in most cases, in a lot of cases, I think over 90%, it's, it's a family member. You know, either a... A spouse or an adult child that is that is committing the elder abuse and when you think about it it's that mindset of that trusted loving person it is that that literally is taking advantage now we know that I mean it's millions of dollars here we're not talking about pocket change here billions yeah billions, billions. excuse me <laughs> billions of dollars I yes. got to get that right yeah. billions of dollars and I think that's a problem. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge issue to see how that trusted person, that loving family member who comes across who just takes advantage. And that's what we need to be sensitive. So if you just tuned in, what we're talking about now is financial abuse. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening also with Scott Jordan. Financial abuse is a real problem, especially with elders. And who commits it? It's the family member. It's the trusted person. It's the one that you see going next door. It's, the, it's that person that everybody says, oh, it would never happen. And you know, Scott, here's my issue with this. There's a phenomenal case in East Tennessee where the dad, this was an elder gentleman. And now we know that women, one in cases, they're more susceptible to this. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this was an individual where it was a dad and he hired someone to come in, and it became his friend. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a close, you know, that type of, you know situation. And when they discovered that the abuse was going on, he said, "Wait a second, this is my friend. Right, I'm not going to turn him in. I'm not going." And they kept saying, "But Dad, he's done this. He's done that. He's still my friend." Uh, gentlemen, it's it's so sad when you see cases like that. I had a similar situation at a previous financial institution I worked at before we started working together, and and in this case, it was a caregiver as well. And 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 the uh, the person who was the caregiver, she ended up giving them check write authority, and and I mean, it was she was cleaning out her finances. And this particular person had a pretty good bit of money, but this person was was dwindling it down fast. And had convinced this other person that she was running a nonprofit museum for a for a artistic thing that she cared deeply about, and in the same situation when when we became aware and sent the authorities over, she didn't want to prosecute the person and didn't want to do anything because again, this was her friend, and unfortunately didn't have a lot of family around to uh, help her. So this was probably her most trusted person in wife in life, and she didn't want to believe it a, and then didn't want to do anything about it because. You know, if she does, she knows she's going to be left alone at that point. So it's very sad. Very that's sad. the part there that they're going to be left alone. Yep. And if you've got an elder person that's living alone, and uh, I know that is such a critical problem. Listen to me, folks. If you're listening and you've got an elder dad or mom, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to try my best to convince you, convict you maybe, <laughs> uh, that you need to spend some time. And I know everybody's busy. But I can remember with my mom, you know, and I can remember spending a lot of time with her trying going down and she was in a nursing home. And, you know, I can remember her saying, you know, to me, hey, because I was trying to take care of her and yeah. handle. And she'd say to me, well, I'm not an idiot. And I'm right, going, right, right. I got it, mom. I'm not <laughs> arguing with you. But, you know, and I, and I think that was, a, you know, that sign that 
that she wanted everything to work just how she had it in her mind right. that it ought to work. Yep. And I think sometimes people back off because of that, but the reality is this is when you need to step in closer yeah, with that loved one, absolutely. that family member. You just need to be sensitive. And if you happen to be a neighbor of that person, this is where you step across the yard and say, hey, can I help? Can I be a friend to someone who maybe has just been a neighbor and I haven't spent a lot of time with them? And I think, you know, with what we've been going through with COVID and everything else and the way it's kind of isolated us all, I think that that vulnerable part of the population, it's more important now. Now, it's it's a kind of a double-edged sword, right? You don't want to go near them and, and infect them with something, but at the same time, we need to find ways to stay in connection with them and stay contacted to make sure that, that we're keeping an eye on our... I read a statistic from the National Caregivers Association, National Caregivers Organization, and they talked about that those, the elders, that where they have gone through some type of abuse, financial abuse, we're talking specifically financial abuse, where it's been there, there's a, this exploitation and all the problems with, you know, one out of every 25 cases is financial exploitation, and the reality being that for those elders who've been mistreated, the risk of death, now this is, shocks me, 300 times greater I've than seen those that, that have not Isn't been. that something? I mean, wow. I mean, that tells you how that can affect a person sure. emotionally, and that's what we need to be careful with. Yep. Well, you know, if you just tuned in, we're talking about financial abuse. And what I want to ask Scott now is the reality that most of us don't think about but who is at risk? Now we say, well, okay, the elder. Is it more women? Is it more men? Well, I think you're going to find out that uh, obviously the women live longer. So, Scott? It's, it, this is definitely more women are affected than men. So two out of three of the cases are, are women, and then uh, two in five are over 80. So really it's, it's, it's women that are the most vulnerable and then along with the, the, the older or the more elderly elder, those over 80 are more susceptible to the, to the abuse as well. So women and, and older segments of the population. I think that's an issue for a lot of us to recognize. And uh, it can be, we, we had a case where, the, you know, we ended up having to report this case where a son-in-law, trusted son-in-law, just began to take over. And the reality, it, I mean, he was doing what he thought was right, right. in his mind. Right. And his wife, who wasn't correcting him, obviously wasn't doing anything there. And finally, mom began to actually recognize it. And uh, she got kind of concerned. Sure. And she began to look at it differently and concerned. But the point was, strong son-in-law pushed back. And boy, that really put a big, big wedge in the family. And we spent quite a bit of time working through that. So here, when we come back, we're going to take a break. When we come back, here's what Scott and I want to talk about. What are some of the red flags that, as an elder, you need to be looking for? Maybe you need to be have someone to help you look for them. And be the, the whole idea is build some kind of a hedge around you so that you can be sensitive to these red flags. We're going to cover them uh, when we come back because I think you're going to find them to be shocking. At least I was when I first looked at this. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. 
And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Scott Jordan. This morning we are talking about elder financial abuse. Now we've covered a lot of topics so far, but the reality is elder abuse is real in our city, in our country, and elder abuse is intentional or neglectful acts by a caregiver or a trusted individual that lead to or may lead to harm of a vulnerable elder person. The bottom line is trusted. I mean, do you get this? Intentional, neglected, neglectful acts of a loved one. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it happens all the time? In fact, one of every case of neglect, exploitation, or self-neglect reported to authorities, five are not reported. So who commits it? Well, as I said, it's a family member. It's a trusted person. Two-thirds of the perpetrators are adult children or spouses. Oh, my goodness. Can you Listen, folks, this is a serious problem. It's a serious problem in our city. And if you've got, if you need to report something, you can call 901-222-4400. 901-222-4400. That's the Family Safety Center. You can go to familysafetycenter.org if you know of something that you suspect is elder abuse. This is serious, it's important, and you need to report elder abuse if you think it's going on. Now, let's go into what I think, that where we peel back this onion, where we dive into looking for it. If you, and I'm trying to tell you, report it. And I want you to write that number down again. Bottom line is 901-222-4400 if you know of that you can report something. I'll give you the, the, national non, the, the national telephone number in a few seconds. But here's what I want you to understand. Red flags. Scott's going to go through some red flags that can be, that may be targets where the elders are targets for financial abuse. And that vary sometimes depending on a person's living situation, a person's financial situation, but here are some warning signs that if you happen to be a loved one or if you happen to be a neighbor, you have to be, you know, whatever, but you have to be looking for these warning signs. And Scott, start with number one. What do you see as far as a warning sign when you're working with people? Well, I mean, one thing to look for as you're, as you're visiting elderly people or elderly family members is, you know, large piles of unpaid bills or they're not having enough money to cover food costs or basic medicine costs when they could before. Uh, there may be lots of junk mail around, letters from things like lotteries or charitable organizations that you're not familiar with, uh, or an, an unkept home or uncut grass. Uh, from somebody who was normally a very neat person, and now all of a sudden you start to see these signs that things are kind of falling apart. And these can be signs that either physically or mentally they're starting to decline or that somebody trusted may be taking advantage of. So that deterioration could be yeah. taking a place. You need to be sensitive to that. Yeah. I have a very dear friend of mine that I've respected for years. He ran a very successful company here in the country, in the city. And uh, I can remember when he began to have that onset of dementia and mm -hmm. and you know he started with parkinson's and and, then he, and it was and this guy physically as fit as you can be and and literally but uh he his he struggles and yeah. so the whole idea is that's when you need to be very sensitive to that yes and and you know those are kind of less overt signs but when you talk about more substantial warning signs, that would be that would be like sub, sudden changes in legal documents. You know, I'm I'm updating my will. All of a sudden, I'm naming a caregiver or somebody else. 
in 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 that type of situation um financial activity that you might notice on their bank statement that they couldn't have possibly done maybe they don't even drive and you see withdrawals from an atm and things of that nature that could be a warning sign again these are not always a sign that something's going on but they're a sign to look a little deeper uh or just you know significant withdrawals or unusual purchases for their character those are just things that to keep an eye on that may that may trigger some red flags to say hey something may be going on so here. these are some what you call serious red flags yes. that, that suggest that a person of trust may have moved in and this is the thing that you know this can be a person of trust it's always not very seldom is it going to be outside the nine dots it's going to be that yeah. person who they trust who they feel comfortable with family member they trusted do. friend somebody who's doing the caregiver or whatever who's come into their life and 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 learned uh, you know some important yeah. account for information Absolutely, absolutely. Like you said, most of the time it's a family member or trustee. You, you do see some strangers that try to take advantage, and, and with the with the Internet, you can see a lot of different types of scams that may come into play, romance scams and things of that nature. But a lot of times the family member, I have seen cases with attorneys or trusted trusted financial professionals where things can that happen as well. They have done the well. same thing. Yep, yeah, absolutely. so you can't, just because they got the attorney or just because they yep. got the financial advisor, you still... In all cases, be suspicious and check it out. If you think you know of something, and by the way, we're in the studios. We're in the final stages, (laughs) by the way, of doing some of this, what we call repair and remodeling. Uh, You're listening to it. They're putting some locks on the doors today. So, hey, you know what? It's close, but it's not done. (laughs) So if you hear the noise in the background... Just understand, I'm not at the dental office, and we're not getting our teeth drilled. So we're all fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> that's our producer, and he's telling me that nothing's falling apart yet. But we're making it happen. So what I was going to say to you, if you know or you suspect that I want you to report it, and here's the number again, 222-4400, 222-4400. That's in Memphis and Shelby County. It's the sa- it's the Family Safety Center FamilySafetyCenter.org. If you know of something nationally, it's a 1 800 number, 1 800 677 1116. 1 800 677 1116. If you know or suspect that somebody might be abused. Now, let's talk about the critical part to this, this whole thought we've been going through this. We've talked about looking for something you can look for this and you might respond to it we've talked about the fact that it's women that's more susceptible to it than men it's common it's the trusted friend it's the trusted family member but here i want to cover some tips for elders or family members to prevent abuse scott i think it starts with awareness you know simply being aware that the risk exists and being kind of keeping your eyes open to what's going on around you i think awareness uh, both by family members and, and the elderly is is critical to know, hey, this is a reality. It, it does happen from trusted people. So I think it, it starts with that awareness. What about that reclusive person that, you know, that, that all of a sudden backs into the corner and stays, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a concern. That's a big one. I think staying involved is, is another protection mechanism, you know, whether it's with, with groups at, you know, church or friends that get together staying involved with people so that you have people to talk to and people that can keep an eye on you i think we had a we had a good client for years that drove a red um 
I can't remember what kind of Civic I think red. Yeah. It was a good. Okay. Was it a convertible or something? She it was a. She was in her seventies, but it was a beautiful car. Yeah. And she had to make the decision to move to a retirement community. Right. And she she was living in her home, thoroughly enjoyed it, great. But she made the decision to do that, and she would tell us today, best decision she's made. Yep, it absolutely. hasn't been free of problems. No. But it was a great decision. We have another person on the other hand who, same situation, lives in her home, and every time we talk to her, what should I sell the house? And she yeah. just doesn't want to move. Doesn't want to do it. She wants to stay there. So everybody's mm-hmm. different. And, and fortunately, she has family members that are checking in on her, and we try to keep an eye on her as well. So, uh, But, yeah, there's there's just, just staying involved with other people that, that A, can notice when things are happening to you, but B, also also gives you an outlet to talk to people when you think something All right, may be, be aware going. and staying involved. Yep. What's the third one? I would say, you know, don't buy any products or services or give money to charity that, that you haven't initiated. If somebody, you know, either it's door-to-door or over the telephone or Internet, they're approaching you either buying a service or donating some money, don't, just don't do that. You know, re, reach out. Be proactive for the charities that, charities that you want to give money to. Uh, be proactive in the services and, and products that you want to buy. But when people come around using high-pressured sales techniques, just, just say no. Another one, too, and I've used this in my life even before, you know, you get to be 60, but the reality is don't make a quick decision. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. I've said if I've got to make a quick decision, it's a no. Right, right. An and, and you one. see those tactics used a lot, those high oh, pressure, you, you know, we got to, this is a one-day only sale or we gotta you do got to do this today. to do it today. That's where you need to, need those red flags need to go up, take a step back and, and take a breather and, and maybe talk to somebody about it. Say, exactly. Hey, here's what I'm being approached with. We have something coming up in the office on the 19th of this month called yes. Shred Day. It's become very popular it's amazing i'm I'm amazed at how popular that service has i mean it's just like i have have clients calling me you know when's red day when's red day and i was like wow but there's a reason we believe that part of this prevention is shredding all receipts at which credit card numbers appears just 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 shred them absolutely there are predators out there that are looking to go through trash and go through everything to try to find any piece of information they can to maybe steal your identity or, or get your credit card number and things of that so Destroying those documents properly, shredding them, is, is a great thing to do. And, you know, I was talking to, to a client the other day, and she said, I've got some stuff. I sh- try to shred it, but mine started smoking with all this stuff. So I can't so, wait till y'all shred day. So. so we'll have shred day. And if you're listening and you'd like to come by shred day, just call our office and say yep. you'd like to do that. Shouldn't be any problem. It's on the 19th of this month. Another thought, when you talk about shredding credit card numbers, I mean, anything that's got your credit card number, check your credit report regularly to look for anything that seems unusual, incorrect. Just be sensitive about it. If you say, well, I don't like doing that, then have your your son or daughter or family member or next door neighbor, somebody that you can trust and be careful. You might want to ask somebody differently. Right. Right. And, and I say, you know, minimum of once a year, but probably more often than that. I know I check mine regularly. I think that's the best defense against anything. I mean, we're all somewhat vulnerable in this connected world. So just being aware and checking that credit report can go a long way in catching something and catching it quickly. Well, I think so, too. And one other thing, let me just say this to everybody. Never, never provide credit card, banking, Social Security, Medicare, any other personal information over the phone unless you are the one who initiated the call 
and you've confirmed that who you are speaking to. Yeah. Never, we, never, I, never. I get reports of this a lot, you know, impersonations of the IRS or the Social Security Department. Uh, they're not going to call you out and ask for your personal information. So, you know, if you get a call from somebody claiming to be the IRS that needs information, that is not how they do business. Same with the Social Security Administration. They're not going to call you and ask for personal information that really they should already have anyway. So just be aware of that and and don't give out that personal information over the phone. Never. That's, I mean, let me just say it one more time. Never, never. Is that enough? Never, 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 never give out personal information. That's the bottom <laughs> say line. Say it one more time. One never, more time. Never. never. And, never. You know, and I'm going to tell you, they're, they're very clever. I, we had a client recently that called me and said, you know, and they felt kind of, you know, I guess they felt stupid for doing it, but they're very clever at getting you to to fall prey to the scam that they're pulling. So it, it's not don't don't think that you that you won't fall prey to that. They are very good at convincing you that they are who they are and they need what they need. Oh, uh, that's true. I just was telling you about one this morning with literally it looked like the email yep. was from a trusted friend, and I called and said, hey, did you send me that? And they said, nope. And that was, I mean, literally, it looked just like it. So if you just tuned in, let me tell you what you could do. To find the document, we are going to post on our website, on our financial, our, um, our Facebook page, Elder Financial Abuse, some types, warning signs, and records, I mean, how to record it and you know, how to know it and recognize it and report it. So just simply go to Shoemaker Financial's Facebook page, search for this document. It's called Elder Financial Abuse. You'll be able to view it. You can turn it into a PDF, and then you can download it and print it. We want you to have it. Just simply go to our financial, our financial Facebook page, Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, and pick it up, Elder Financial Abuse. You'll definitely, I think it'll be something you want to hand out to other people. Well, Scott, now listen to me. Here's the issue. I think it's time. Is the market extended too much in your opinion is it i mean you've got all kind of media noise going on and i think people are i actually had someone yesterday to call and say hey i feel like it is i feel like we got and i said based on what well i listened to msnbc or cnb i mean i didn't even pay attention to where they said right but they said it was so yeah. that makes it overextended what's your thoughts do you want my professional opinion? I want your personal opinion. I don't know. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> no. I, I, Come I on, would say Scott. This, Jim. this is I would radio. Say this. There's, there's a lot of uncertainty out there right now about how quickly the economy is going to reopen and how quickly we're going to get back to doing business. And I don't know that anybody has the true answer of what's going to be happening over the next six months or possibly even a year. Now, if you ask me what's going to be going on in three to ten years, I have a better answer about that. But for what's going on in the next six months, the market has recovered nicely, as you know. We were, we were a little surprised at how quickly the market popped back. But you always have to remember, the market is forward-looking. So the market's not looking at what's going to be happening in 2020. It's looking at what's going to be happening in 2021, 2022. Now, does anybody know for sure? No, but I, I would say... Listening to headlines, grabbing those, and trying to build investment philosophy off of that is very dangerous. So the point is, you're saying the market has rebounded. It's over 40% yeah, since, yeah. since the downturn in March. So that's, that's strong. It so is very strong. Everybody could build an argument that it's stretched too far, sure. too much, too fast, and that's all. Everybody could do that. But I so much appreciate the fact that you simply, I think all of us, with the market's the market. The market's we the market. can always predict, and we always can be right sometimes, and most of the time wrong. But let me ask you this. Share with our listening audience, what are some principles, some thoughts 
that absolutely have stood the test of time that they need to know as we go through the summer months, as we go through the media blitz, we're approaching an election. I guarantee you, folks, whether you like it or not, the media is going to paint one picture. It's according to which color you are. It's according to which side you know, you're on. It's according to what you think. And it may be according to whether which hedge fund you manage, <laughs> which you and I both <laughs> yes, know. Yes, yes. But the reality is, what do you tell them, Scott? This is critical. You know, investing, I believe, I believe, as first of all, staying focused on the long term and investing based on principles, I believe, is what leads to success. And those principles, we talk about these a lot. Uh, first, it's why am I investing this money? What are my goals? And based on that and my risk tolerance, then we try to determine what's my asset allocation? What kind of asset allocation? What between stocks and bonds do I need to hit my goals? I'm going to diversify. We can't predict, but we can prepare. We know there's going to be turbulent times, so we like to spread the money out, diversify, don't put all our eggs in one basket, and then we rebalance on a regular basis. And that's an, that's an investment philosophy. Those are things that you can actually have control over. We can't control the market. We don't know where the market's going over the next six months. Now, historically, long-term trends, you know, the trend historically is up, but over the short term, you can't say. So it's, it's keeping that long-term perspective, understanding why we're investing, and sticking to that long-term strategy. Okay, you say that so flippantly like it's just normal. Okay. It's, I mean, everybody thinks about that. It's I mean, actually very difficult it's in, very in practice. Difficult. Uh, it's, it's so easy. You know, we say this all the time. Emotions are the enemy of any good investment strategy. And I, in, in my time in the business, I've never seen it as, as heightened as it is today with the news cycle. Because now, you know, again, we've, we've had 24-hour news for a while on TV. Now we're carrying it around in our hand all the time. We get all these messages that are coming at us constantly. And it is so hard not to let those emotions take over and derail your long-term plans. It's very difficult. All right. I want everybody to understand. You talked about, you, you said diversify. And you said reallocate, and, you know, get your allocation correctly and then rebalance. OK, but now understanding that doesn't guarantee anything. No, that doesn't no. say that that's going to and, keep you and, from losing money. And neither does past performance, by the way. Uh, past okay. performance doesn't guarantee future results. That's that's all we kind of have to look for. Look at is is history. But, but you say that kind of as that's a principle. Yes. Okay. So when yes. you say knowing diversification, mm -hmm. talk about what is that diversification? Well, you diversify by, you know, we, I don't know exactly what investment's going to do well next year or over the next 10 years, really. But, you know, diversify, diversifying by, by type, you know, maybe I want some stocks that are more growth oriented. I want some that are a little more value oriented. Those are dif different disciplines. Diversifying by region. I want some some domestic, some international, by time period, especially on the fixed income. I want some short-term bonds, some long-term bonds. And diversification, again, is not going to guarantee you any returns, but it's not going to guarantee you the highest returns. It's a risk management tool. It's, a, it's an admission that I, I don't necessarily know exactly what's going to happen, so I want to spread this out a little bit and make sure that I don't have you know, try to avoid that permanent impairment to capital. So does diversification, some do well and some do bad? I mean, is that what happens with diversification? It can. It does can. that mean that you're uh, really giving up some of your return? You could. You could. And, and, you know, you think about it in diversification, you're trying to put things in a portfolio that don't necessarily move in the same direction at the same time. So, 
that by definition can lower your returns. But again, that's the, the point is not to get the highest return when you diversify. The point is to try to spread the risk out and try to try to minimize that risk as much as we possibly can. All right. Does that affect the person who has that emotional? I mean, some people are non-emotional investors. Right. They just do it and they put it aside and they don't think about it. Some are so emotional, they struggle day to day with the, just the movement of the market. Right. They are volatile. This the volatility, the normal volatility creates anxiety. So will diversification help that from that anxiety level? It doesn't cure it, but it, you're saying it does it help the emotions? Yeah, with proper diversification, you can, you can minimize some of that volatility. Now, again, it doesn't, doesn't do away with it, and I can't say it's going to eradicate all the emotions that and go along with And what you're saying is it's not a fix-all. No, it's not. It's, no, it's not. Um, we, we know that for most of the people you and I work with, they need to grow their money. They need to participate in the market in order to hit their goals. Um, you have things working against that, like you know, long lifespans, inflation. So... You have to, you know, most people I know have to participate in, in the markets. And the way you get higher returns, you, you can't decouple this, you get higher returns by gaining access to risk. Now, we can minimize that risk by diversifying, but we can't do a, completely do away with it. All right. So we're saying that people need to understand diversification. It's sure. first and foremost, but it does not guarantee against loss. No. It's just a risk no. management tool, but it does to help you from that standpoint. What you're saying to me then is the reality that a person doing some of these basics, what about following the herd? I mean, you've, we talked about that before on the air. We've talked about people getting caught up in the emotions from yeah. the media, and then all of a sudden they're at church or they're at the party, and somebody says, I did this. Right. What happens there? Right. That can be very dangerous because, you know, A, it can be a very short-term mindset. And somebody may have had a recent, you know, success in a particular type of investment. That doesn't mean it's a good long-term strategy. But also the wisdom of crowds is not always right, as you've seen, Jim. You know, it's a, a lot of times when you see everybody piling into one direction, that can also be a warning sign that maybe we need to go in a different direction. Yeah, a different direction, yeah. That's a good point. All right. We've talked about diversification, and I so much appreciate it, avoiding emotions, keeping that emotional side. You actually talked about rebalancing. I think I want you to clarify that for me. Is diversification and rebalancing anything similar to each other? Well, when you, when you rebalance is, you know, let's go back to our principles. We have asset allocation, diversification, and rebalance. The asset allocation, we determine that by things like looking at risk tolerance and the goals and all that. It's like how much in stocks, how much is in bonds. Uh, then the diversification is where we're trying to, again, minimize that risk by diversifying across those categories. Rebalancing is where we simply go stick with our original plan by, you know, it may be a year where some things do extremely well, so maybe we want to sell some of that down and put it into the sink, some of the things that have not done as well. Call that selling high, buying low. So uh, rebalancing is just a way to stick with the plan. I got it. That makes a lot of sense. All right. You talked about the plan. The plan. We the used plan. to hear the plan. The plan. The plan. The plan. The plan. <laughs> so I you're dating me. yourself a little bit. I am dating myself a little bit. Hey, <laughs> but I knew Greg. what you were talking about. So. <laughs> so did Greg. Everybody knew what I was talking about. The plan. Yeah. No, here's the reality. Everybody needs a plan. Whether yes. it's your 401k plan, yes. whether you're saving for college education, whether it's just an investment, whether you're in mutual funds or what, 
Having the plan is critical. Having the plan is critical. The, the investment strategy is built around what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, when, you, when you know what you're trying to do, you know you have a portfolio that has a history of producing the kind of results that you need in order to hit your goals, that can give you the discipline to stick with the plan when times get tough because there's going to be tough times. We know that from what we've just gone through recently. And just knowing what you're trying to accomplish having that disciplined investment strategy can help you avoid making some kind of mistake that can totally blow your long-term goals. You know, I think that's so critical. I mean, people need to understand, don't follow the herd. Don't get caught in all that stuff. You know, back away from your emotions. Quit watching the media. The summer is going to probably have a correction. I just think that's a possibility. Is that a prediction? We don't know. I appreciate you said. We don't know. Hey, I'll predict it. How about that? Then if I'm right, I'm a hero. If I'm wrong, nobody cares. Right, right. But that's fact. So we just need to. So don't follow the herd. Keep your emotions. And then use some basic fundamentals. That's allocation. That's diversification. And definitely rebalance. And have a plan. Absolutely. I, I think that is so, so critical. Well, thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. We all, you always do a great job for me, man. Absolutely. Great to be here, Jim. You've been listening to, of course, the Mighty 990, KWAM FM 107.9 and AM 990. My guest has been Scott Jordan. We have been covering a, just a plethora of subjects. How do you like that big word? Plethora of subjects. The bottom line, it's been elder abuse. We've talked about some wishes that every elder person needs to have. We're going to cover some more of that next week. If you'd like to talk with uh, Scott, just feel free to do so at 901-757-5757. And just maybe you want to ask him about diversification, about your portfolio. If you have questions or comments for Talk Money, send them to Talk Money at Shoemaker Financial and to find today's program on podcast or past programs. Go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial or to podcast at kwam990.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook. I want to remind you, you can get elder financial abuse by going to the financial page, Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, and click on Elder Financial Abuse. Whether you're looking for advice on topics like buying a home, investing in our 401k, or maybe your 401k, or purchasing the insurance, or looking for tips on how to get a jump start on savings for college, we're here to help you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks for listening. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index.